coming into God's presence and giving Him your heart, your adoration, your thanksgiving, your praise, your love, of expressing that love in, in music and in prayer and sharing, in gifts and obedience. The, the intimacy of that relationship, the give and take of, of that relationship is worship. The first step into that intimacy, the first step into worship, the first step into knowing God is to know the blessing of His love. To be able to receive it, to be able to live it, to be able to have the assurance of that love. When you think about it, it, it's kind of really off the wall to talk about the Almighty God of creation as if He desires a personal relationship with you or me. You know, no wonder the world thinks we're crazy. No matter we're called, why we're called in Peter, peculiar people. We have this notion that the God of all creation, that the God who hung the stars in space, that brings life into, into human bodies, that this God wants a personal relationship with us. That somehow He loves us. You know, no other religion believes that. No other religion has that, that sense of a personal relation with the Almighty God. It's all sort of a general relation, a, a sort of an aloof that God is way out there and we're way down here. But the truth of the Bible, the truth of the Bible is that God does desire a personal relationship with you and me. That God loves you. And that God loves me. And, and He shows that, that absolute ultimate expression. His love for, for the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. His Son. His Son. That's what this first letter of John is all about of God's love for you and, and for me and our love for Him and the overflow of that love for one another. John teaches us in this little bitty gospel, this, this letter that he wrote, he teaches us about love. And one of the things that's most paramount is that God sets the standard for what love is. Would that our world knew that today. Verse 10, he says, And this is love, not that we have loved God. Not that we have loved God, but that He has loved us. You see, real love is not defined by what a human does. Real love is defined by what God has done. There was a missionary uh, some years ago, a very popular, uh, th this woman became a very popular writer. Her name was Elizabeth Elliot. And after her husband had been killed, murdered, in the jungles of Ecuador, 
she went back in to those jungles, back to that very same tribe that had murdered her husband to help, to serve, to love. You see, God sets the standard. And it's through Him that we know what love is and that we can even love one another. That's because He revealed it to us. He showed us. He showed us what love is. And He showed us how we should love. This is how God showed His love among us, John says. This is an important characteristic of love to make sure it comes from God and we follow His love and not our love. Sometimes we say, I love people. I'm just not good at showing it. You ever said that? Or I, I love others, but I'm just not so good at saying it. Well, guess what? If God is in you, you need to get good at saying it. And you need to get good at showing it. Your words need to be congruent with who you are. They need to be congruent with your actions. You need to learn to tell people with words and show people with your actions that you love them, that you care about them. In God, we see that real love is a, is a sacrificial love. In verse 9 and 10, God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him, John says. He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation, the, the atoning sacrifice, if you would, for our sins. God's love cost him something, didn't it? Indeed, it cost him everything. He gave up his son. We can identify with that. We can identify with how difficult that might be, that would be. He gave up his son, and, and his son gave up his own life so that you and I, we, could experience forgiveness of sins and inherit eternal life. This is the only way it could be done. As Jesus faced death on the cross, He, prays, he prayed, if, it, if it's possible, take this cup from me. If it wasn't possible, this was the way it had to be. Why did it have to be this way? Well, if God is God, He couldn't just say, I guess he could. Everybody's forgiven. It's all done. Without the necessity of, of Jesus. Without the cross. But it's because of who God is that it can't be done that way. God must be consistent with himself, you see. He is who he is. And God is holy. And God is just. And therefore, sin must be dealt with in some way. But God is also merciful. God is also compassionate. And therefore, sin is going to be, be dealt with according to that generous and loving nature that is God as well. So we have this juxtaposition between a loving God and a just God, a holy God, and a God who is merciful. We couldn't save ourselves. So he gave his son to save us. He paid the debt that 
he did not owe because we owed a debt that we could not pay. That's sacrificial love. Makes our effort at sacrifice seem kind of small, doesn't it? But that's what we must strive to do. Real love sacrifices for the one who is loved. God also sets the standard for love by loving the unlovely, the ones that are more difficult to love. You know, when you, when you chose your spouse, undoubtedly, or at least maybe hopefully, <clears throat> you chose someone with a strong character, having good prospects for the future, who, who was attractive to you in a number of ways. Someone worthy of your love, right? You certainly didn't seek out someone whom you knew in advance would be unfaithful or dishonest or manipulative, cruel, selfish. No, you didn't look for that person. You married the best person you could find. That's not how God chooses his bride, though. He didn't choose to love only the best. He chose to love some of the worst. John says God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. How's that? Right out of Romans 5. We don't receive God's love because we're worthy. We'll never be worthy. And we shouldn't give love because someone else is worthy. Because often they may not be worthy. This is the example we must follow in loving others. We must follow this example of God loving us. We don't show love only to those who are good. We don't show love to only those who are worthy. We don't shove lo show love to only those who, who shine and sparkle and, and stand at the top. We love even those who are sometimes unlovable, as did he. Because love isn't given because of worth. Love is given because of need. Exactly the way God loves you and me. And just as God sets the standard for what love is, love sets the standard for what the Christian life is. The Christian life is, is first and foremost about loving others and loving God. It's, it's really not about having a particular political view. <laughs> I don't know. Or being against certain social issues even. Or about adhering to a certain doctrine, doctrinal statement. Or about being organized or efficient or self-disciplined. You know, all those things have their place. But their place is significantly behind what God has said is first place. First place in the Christian life is love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. You can read it in Matthew 22. I read it to you this morning. We read it this morning out of, out of Deuteronomy 6.5. It's God's truth. And the Christian life begins with a life in love. In love with God and in love with his world. John stated the same truth in, in, in verses 7 and 8. He said, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. 
And then he turns it around. Anyone who does not love, as if you didn't get that first part, anyone who does not love, he says, does not know God. Does not know God. Because God is love. That love is, is the testimony, if you would. It's the evidence of the presence of God in our life. But loving God is only the first step. Only the first step. John says in verse 20, Anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Verse 12, he says, If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected, made complete in us. He's saying that the more deeply you love, the more deeply you live in God. Verse 16, whoever abides in love abides in God. And what? God abides in him. Love sets the standard for the Christian life. That's how we should evaluate ourselves, And when necessary, that's how we should evaluate others. Christians are known by how much they love. Paul said, if I speak with the, with the tongues of men and angels, we hear this a lot. At weddings, if I have the gift of prophecy, can fathom all the mysteries and knowledge, if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. You want to grow in the Christian life? You want to become more godlike in this world? You want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Your first priority. It's not just we hope so. It's just not we need to be need to. But your first priority really must be to grow in love. We're never going to reach the perfect pinnacle. That's why Jesus came. That's why God sent himself and sent his son. There's only one perfect. Only one. But we're called to grow in that direction. We're called to grow in the image of Jesus. Into that image in which we were created before the fall. Grow in your love for God. Grow in your love for others. And, and, and as that love for others reflects God's love in you, it's, it's going to share some of His nature. It will be sacrificial. It will not be given based on worth, but on need. It's the first and foremost relationship. Not depending on what someone else does, but on what God has done in you. Now, while God sets the standard for what love is, and love sets the standard for what the Christian life is, we, you and I, as His followers, as His disciples, need to set the standard of love for the world to see. That's why they'll call us crazy. And we can smile. Or they'll call us peculiar. And we can smile. You know, Christians don't have a real great reputation these days. Especially in our culture. Maybe it's because our message is understood. Misunderstood. Sometimes it's because I think we've been guilty of overemphasizing the wrong things. We haven't got that love first. We've got it somewhere down the line. 
Sometimes we're known only for what we're against. Sometimes we have a tendency to major on the minors. In the early days of ministry, Billy Graham used to preach against communism. He was a pretty much of a firebrand in that regard. And it wasn't long before he realized that he had a much more important message to emphasize. One that transcended political ideologies. One that transcended some of the cultural idioms of the day. And he began to speak to the deepest need of the human heart. We need to direct our message to the most important. To the most important. You know, I can remember hearing sermons, and I figure some of you could too. Years ago against bell-bottom jeans and shaggy hair and rock music. We just about rolled the cycle around again, but not quite. We were all headed to you know where back in the 50s and 60s, early 60s. Everybody was sure we were lost, every one of us. But somehow, somehow, God redeemed us, didn't he? God rescued us from that terrible abyss, whatever. You remember the peace sign back in the 60s? Sometimes we still have a little cringe when we see somebody throw up a peace sign because we think there's something wrong with them. Something bad. Not good. Inherently evil, as some of our parents may have said. In those days, some Christians... And some churches defined themselves by what they were against. They pushed people away rather than bring people in. They pushed people aside rather than trying to look into their heart. Today, there, there are some people who believe we're at war with culture. Which is the same thing as we're at war with our world. And we are at war. At war. But, but, we always have to remember that we wrestle, as, as Paul said in Ephesians, not with flesh and blood, but, but we, against principalities and powers, against rulers of, of the darkness in this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That's what's infected our brothers and our sisters in this world. And we can beat them up all we want, but that won't change it. Our wars against the principalities and powers. We're not at war with people. Just like God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, He gave it to that world that whosoever should believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Our attitude toward those around us must be the same as His. We need to be aggressive about showing the world that we love them, that we care about them, so that they will know that there is a God who loves them too. I'm against a lot of things. Certain TV shows, certain movies, certain types of music. You talk to me, I'm pretty opinionated about a lot of stuff. Certain political ideas, all this kind of stuff. We're into a, a political season now in our, in our country, and I'm sure we could all wax eloquent with all sorts of stories. I've got mine. 
you want to hear them, just come to me. I'm against a lot of things. And I could preach against every one of them, and we could preach here for years just going over that list. I mean, it's, it's a big list. But that's not what I want to define me. See, that's not the message I want you to remember. It's not what I want to define this church either. T too many of us think a, a stand means being against something. And, and I want us to take a stand for something. I want us to put down an anchor rock solid for Jesus Christ. I want to take a stand for, for passionately loving God. I want to take a stand for faithfully loving others. In, in order for the church to make a difference in our culture, if we ever want to serve our world, then we must love God enough and know God well enough to know that He loves that world. And we have to some way, somehow, show that love to them as well. I would never say compromise, compromise principles, compromise His Word, compromise in any way in that type of sense. You don't have to do that to show compassion and love. The world's idea of love is, well, I'm going to love you as long as it's easy, convenient, and benefits me. <laughs> we can't let that be our, our, our definition. We can't. Our definition is, I'm going to love you because God loves you. I'm going to love you because Jesus, His Son, died on a cross. My Savior died on a cross for you. He's your Savior too, if you can accept Him. God's idea of love? I will love you because I am love. That's His nature. And because you are precious and valuable to me. Imagine the difference if we could make the world perceive that as our message. Jesus said, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's where the Christian life begins. And where it ends, too. Loving God. Loving others. He has shown us what love is. Not just told us. He has shown us. Demonstrated to us. And called us to follow that same path. By loving others as He loved us, we can complete, we complete, complete that circle. We can live for Him. And we can be His agents of redemption in the world in which we live.